So tonight, uh, my opening question to you is, why is prayer vital to spiritual life? Why is prayer vital to spiritual life? And uh, we won't be able to look at all the ways in which prayer is vital to spiritual life, but um, we will look at a few tonight. And um, from Jonah, we're going to be looking at uh, Jonah in the belly of that great fish, and we're going to rejoice in our salvation with Jonah. And uh, we're going to look at Jonah's repentant heart and how God brought that about through his circumstances. If you are new here tonight, or perhaps you're listening online, uh, this is the third sermon in a sermon series on prayer. Uh, We're taking um, a prayer that someone in the Bible prayed, and we're studying it together with the goal of having faithful and biblical prayer lives. Uh, We desire to be a praying church a church where all of its members are committed to seeking God on their knees. Uh, prayer is never an end in and of itself, though. Uh, prayer affects every area of our lives. It is a means toward knowing, uh, loving, and walking with God. So may God help us to pray to Him as we ought. And if you would, please join me with respect to God's word uh, by standing and opening your copies of the scriptures uh, to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Thank you. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O oh Lord, our gracious Father, we are uh, here tonight and we long for you to speak to us through your word. Lord, please um, help us to be attentive and help me to communicate clearly from your word and that it would, uh, you'd be pleased to work through your word, that you'd plead through me to the souls in this room or to anyone who's listening online and 
that, uh, that we would seek you, and follow you all the days of our lives, that we would learn what it means to pray to you and to be humble and repentant before you. Lord, we praise you. You are a great God, worthy of our, our praise, our adoration, our very lives. We, we could never repay you for the, the death of your son who died in our place. And we are in gratitude to, with, uh, to him tonight. And I pray that he would be honored. And uh, now as we come to your word, please illuminate it for us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So verse 1 says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of of the fish. When he read this passage a few moments ago, you may have thought, this does not sound much like a prayer. Indeed, people usually don't pray with such eloquence. At least I don't. And uh, while this passage was a prayer that Jonah uttered in the belly of the fish, it was not simply a prayer. It was actually a psalm of thanksgiving. Conceivably, Jonah developed this psalm in the belly of the fish and offered it to God as a prayer. So I mentioned this is a thanksgiving psalm. And uh, this slide on the screen uh, shows the various genres in the book of Psalms. I don't know if you can see it or not, but they're all uh, listed by number up there. And uh, so there are psalms of praise. There are psalms of trust. Uh, there are royal psalms about the Davidic king and the Messiah. There are wisdom psalms uh, promoting wisdom and godly living. Uh, there are hymns. And lastly, I uh, see in the green there at the bottom, there are thanksgiving psalms. Uh, such as Jonah 2 would be classified as a thanksgiving psalm. So uh, here we are in verse 1, and Jonah prays to the Lord out of the belly of the fish, and what he prays is a thanksgiving psalm. And so let's look at this psalm in more detail. So verse 2 says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, And you heard my voice. This verse serves as the introduction to the psalm. It gives the reason why Jonah is thankful. Namely, God heard and answered him. And this is the overall thrust of the psalm. Psalm of thanksgiving to God for hearing him. Notice the intensity of Jonah's emotions. He says, I called out. Jonah called out because he was in distress. He was drowning. He also says, I cried. There is urgency and petition to God. God answers Jonah's call and his cry for desperation. God in his goodness hears and saves Jonah. So no wonder Jonah is thankful. The reference to the uh, belly of Sheol here is um, very interesting. Uh, In ancient Near Eastern thought, Sheol was the realm of the dead. Uh, It was the underworld. And the place that they believed dead people uh, went from which they would not return. And what is more, they believed that Sheol was located in the bottom of the sea. 
So Jonah is essentially saying, I was as good as dead, calling out for help from Sheol in the bottom of the sea when God heard me and answered me. So let me at this point ask, how was it that Jonah got to this point of near death? How did he get here? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jonah sinned, and that's why he's here. God commanded Jonah to preach to the Ninevites. And so Nineveh was um, a city of the Assyrians in the Fertile Crescent. Uh, Fertile Crescent. It was uh, on the Tigris River, uh, so to the north and to the east of, of Israel. And uh, he was commanded to go to Nineveh. And Jonah attempted to flee from the presence of God because he didn't want to preach to the Ninevites. And uh, he wanted to flee by going to Tarshish, uh, which is one of the farthest uh, places in the west, in the opposite direction. And so Jonah sinned. And as a prophet, Jonah was a man of God. He was, in effect, a preacher. And here we note that the man of God is not beyond the judgment of God. Jonah was not above the law. Jonah deserved to die for disobeying God. Scripture records other prophets that died for disobeying God. In the book of 1 Kings, two prophets on two separate occasions were killed by lions for disobeying God. So Jonah really deserved to drown here. It was foolish for Jonah to think that he could flee from a sovereign God and likewise, all rebellion against God is foolish and futile. We are foolish when we disobey God. And I urge you not to harden yourself to what God asks of you to do in his word. People today believe that they do not have to listen to God and that they have a right to live as they wish. However, this is rebellion against the creator. Any rebellion against God is sin, and sin brings death. So it brought death to Adam and Eve, and it brings death for all mankind all around the world. Jonah does not get special privileges just because he is a prophet. Jonah's rebellion would have brought death for him had it not been for the mercy of God. Let's go to verse 3. <clears throat> For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. So Jonah says that he was in the heart of the seas. And uh, so I take this to mean that he was in the middle of the seas. All right, there's no land in sight. He was hopeless. The sailors could not even row back to the shore when they were trying to get back to the shore. And so Jonah did not stand a chance of survival. Something that we see clearly in this verse is that Jonah recognizes that his punishment is coming from God. He says, you cast me into the deep, 
All your waves and your billows passed over me. The sailors may have physically cast him in the sea, but Jonah knew that he was being punished by God. The sailors drew lots, and the lot sovereignly fell on Jonah. Not only did Jonah recognize that his punishment was from God, but also the sailors recognized that his punishment was from God. Let us back up and read what their thoughts were in Jonah chapter 1, verse 11 and following. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. So when Jonah was on the boat, he was hardened in his sin. His remarks were very callous. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. At that point, I believe he was unrepentant. Uh, He refused to seek mercy from God. Jonah knew the raging storm was from God, and the sailors knew the raging storm was from God. So let's return to this verse 3. So it says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and in the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. So all throughout the Bible, there are um, what scholars call intertextual ties. Uh, one passage in the Old Testament um, might relate and allude to another passage in the Old Testament, or maybe a passage in the New Testament will relate to, back to a, a passage in the Old Testament. Um, and so there's actually likely an intertextual tie Uh, In this verse, when Jonah says, For you cast me into the deep. So I want to show you that. Okay, so the deep. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 2, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And then in Jonah chapter 2, verse 3, it says, For you cast me into the deep. And uh, so we know that the, before creation, the world was covered with water. And so the deep here is talking about the water that covered the face of the earth. And uh, the water represented a, a chaotic world where that was uninhabitable. Um, no one could live in the deep. And so when God, um, in the seven days of creation, he establishes this uh, world that's livable and that's orderly and that is suitable for, for human life and animal life and plant life. And so to go back into the deep is a, a return to chaos and a return to, um, to what, what is not of God, what is, um, what is um, really a decreation uh, in a sense, so um, so there's this this theme, this motif of uh, of a, of decreation, and so Jonah's sin caused him to experience the reverse of creation. 
And what's the significance of the deep? So rebellion against God does not lead to advancement, but rather to decreation. Not to order, but to chaos. One of my professors said that. And uh, Jonah recognizes his sin has brought about his chaotic and uninhabitable and deadly circumstance. That is what sin does to your life. Do you recognize this is the end result of sin? It's death, decreation. Do you tremble for yourself and for those you know that are walking in sin? If you're walking in sin. And those that are around you, do you tremble for them? Do you, do you care for their souls? Jonah has been cast into the deep because of his sin. He is drowning and going to die. So the third and fourth lines read, All your waves and your billows passed over me. This is a description of the chaotic seas with crashing, billowing waves. Waves that billow with white foam. Yeah, due to the energy that's in them. These lines are quoted from uh, Psalm uh, 42, verse 7. So Psalm 42, verse 7. And so Psalm 42 is a lament, psalm of lament, uh, where the psalmist is lamenting being away from God's temple and thereby God's presence. So we have a hint here that Jonah is maybe no longer wanting to flee from the presence of the Lord. Um, he seems now to be alluding to God's temple where his presence dwells at this point in his, his uh, Thanksgiving psalm. Indeed, I see here in verse 4 a softening heart. Jonah finally prays. Verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet, I shall again look upon your holy temple. When Jonah was on the boat, he had a hard heart and did not pray to God. He simply told the sailors if they would cast him into the sea, then God would quiet the storm. Now, when he is thrown overboard and began drowning, it seems that Jonah had a change of heart. Jonah is recalling that blessed moment his heart turned back to God. You see, up to this point, Jonah had not spoken to God. But here we see Jonah saying, I am driven away from your sight. Who is Jonah talking to but, uh, but God? So Jonah is finally praying to God. So that initial question that I asked you at the start of the message, um, why is prayer vital to your spiritual life? And so we have our first answer that I see here. Uh, through prayer, we confess our sins to God and express our faith in Him. Earlier in chapter 1, Jonah's desire was to flee from the presence of Yahweh, but, but now, experiencing what it's like to truly be away from God, Jonah recognizes that to be without God is to be without life, to be without anything good, to be spiraling down in a hell-bound course. And God's presence is light and life. But without him, 
there is no good. What was Jonah running from but from, the, from a good God? So I plead with you, it doesn't make sense to run from God, those of you who may be running. You're running to Sheol. You're running to destruction, to decreation. So through prayer, we can confess our sins to God and return to God and repent. So I want to take a little more thought, or a little bit more time, uh, thinking through this statement. Then I said, "I am driven from your sight." And so I think Jonah here is saying this with a heart full of godly grief and sincere repentance. And in First um, Corinthians, Paul um, chided the Corinthians and. Uh, they actually did turn and repent. And, uh, and then after a time, he wrote Second Corinthians. Uh, and he said here in chapter 7, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not grieve, I do not regret it, I'm sorry. Even, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while, as it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Today we live in a day and age where humility and repentance are not seen as virtues. Pride is seen as a virtue. They say never to let your confidence fade. Always be confident. This is a bad and unbiblical idea. Sometimes we need to repent. It's a very good and healthy thing to be grieved into repenting. Do not run from it or push it down. We need repentance. We all sin. So let us reiterate the point that prayer is vital to spiritual life. And here Jonah, in godly grief, makes confession through prayer. I am driven from your sight. Driven from God's sight is the, is the, um, <clears throat> that is what we all deserve. Every man, woman, and child. Because we are all sinners. We break God's law, the very best of us. We deserve to be driven away from God's sight, banished from heaven, never to be looked favorably upon by God. Jonah knew that. He knew it, and yet, he does not stop at just feeling downcast and driven away from God's sight. He says something astounding. Yet, I shall again look upon your holy temple. This is a remarkable expression of faith. Though he was banished from God's presence, he believed that by God's grace, he would come back to God's temple and thereby to God's presence. So he was driven away from his presence, driven away from his sight, and yet he had faith that he would be able to come back and be in God's temple. 
Jonah is showing a remarkable degree of faith and hope in God's mercy. In chapter 4, Jonah knew that, said that he knew that God was a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. And so he knew God's character and he put his trust and his faith in God's mercy. We deserve death and hell for our sin. And yet, through Christ, we can have confidence, as Jonah did, that we have forgiveness and eternal life. Even though I deserve to be driven from God's presence, yet because of Christ, I have access to God and I can pray to Him. What a glorious and merciful privilege it is to be able to pray to God. We serve a great God who brings light out of darkness. He brings rebellious sinners into his presence through the death of his son. Let's go to verses 5 and 6. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains. Here Jonah describes, he returns to describing his near-death experience. In this psalm of thanksgiving, Jonah is once again emphasizing his desperate situation in the water in order to once again praise God. So Jonah possibly alludes to the global floodwaters when he says um, the waters at the start of verse 5. And if that's the case, there are overtones of sin and judgment. Recalling to mind that Jonah is suffering punishment due to his sin. The same emphasis on the effects of sin is emphasized with the repeated reference to the deep, which we talked about earlier. There's something else going on in this verse with a pair of verbs. Those verbs are in line one and line two. They're closed in and surrounded. So imagine, if you will, an army closing in and surrounding uh, their enemy. Or imagine uh, a predator, say a pack of wolves, closing in and surrounding uh, their prey. Uh, It reminds me of a trap, these these verbs. So here, the the victim is Jonah, and the aggressor is the stormy waters. So again, this indicates the great peril he is facing from drowning and the magnitude of God's salvation for him. The statement of weeds were wrapped about my head is uh, it's kind of intriguing. The verb uh, wrapped, saying the weeds are wrapped around my head, is the same uh, verb used to describe wearing a turban, wrapping a turban around, around your head. And... Uh, so what does this imply? Uh, to my knowledge, seaweed uh, grows on the sea floor. And uh, also the, the next line, at the root of the mountains, that's another reference to the very bottom of the sea. And uh, so he is not treading water at this point uh, when he's wearing seaweed on his head. Uh, so he's at the bottom of the sea, not in a good situation. 
I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. So the ancient Near concept, ancient Near Eastern concept of Sheol, which we mentioned, which was mentioned in verse two, um, there was a city uh, with gates or bars from which, when you entered through the gate, you could not return back to life. And so Jonah's figurative death here uh, actually prefigures Christ's death and resurrection. Jonah's sin caused him a figurative death in the darkness of the great fish. And then he was figuratively resurrected three days later when the fish vomited out on the dry land. Jesus said, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In this way, Jonah's story and Jesus' story were very similar. But there's also a major difference between Jonah and Jesus. See, Jonah suffered in this metaphorical grave inside the fish because of his own sin. Jesus, his death on the cross was not for his sin, but for ours. Jesus' death on the cross that he died was bearing the sins of those who had put their trust and faith in him. And so, God has this story that he's orchestrated of of Jonah in the belly of the fish to um, be a forerunner, to be a a story that uh, tells of the great... um, of, of Christ who would um, be who would die for our sins and resurrect on the third day. So let's go to verse seven. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah fled from God's presence in rebellion, and now his soul, his very life, was fainting away. It was ebbing out like the light of the sun, well after it is set, and the last wisps of twilight disappear. He sees death approaching, and his senses finally return to him. He remembers the Lord. See, Jonah knew the Lord before he fled from his presence. What happened was he was embittered by, the idea, embittered by the idea of going to preach to the Ninevites. And his sin, it blinded him from seeing many things. It blinded him from the folly of his ways. And it blinded him from sweet communion and fellowship with God. In his rebellion, he was not walking in the sweet fellowship and knowledge of God. But oh, Praise the Lord, this near-death situation shook him out of his madness and his folly so that he remembered the goodness of the Lord. Oh, that you would all know the Lord so sweetly that in times of trial and discipline you could recall and come back to the Lord. 
Do you know the goodness of the Lord in your day to day? Is his presence sweet to your soul? So Jonah called out to God in the midst of his judgment. His heart had turned back to God. It says, my prayer came to you. He prays and God answers by rescuing him. Prayer is a sign of a penitent heart that has returned to reality. No longer entranced and blinded by sin, Jonah remembers the Lord. So that question at the start, why is prayer vital to spiritual life? Here's another point. Through prayer, we make petition to God for help. So he says, my prayer came to you. So he was, he was asking for deliverance from um, his situation. He was asking for deliverance that he would be able to come back to the Lord and serve the Lord in his temple and that he would um, be in the land of the living and no longer uh, in Sheol and land of the dead. So he, he prays, he makes petition to God. So this is another, another reason why prayer is vital for our spiritual life because we can seek God's face talk to him and ask him and make petition. Verse 8. So this, the title of this I gave is Jonah's New Found Zeal, The Two Paths. It's like an, an evangelistic zeal that Jonah has. Um, after someone has been profoundly delivered by God, <clears throat> they usually want to share about God with others. And such is the case here with Jonah. He presents the two paths, the one that leads to destruction and the other to life. So he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Vain idols in the Hebrew is two words that literally mean empty worthlessness. Whatever would be causing any of you to stay away from God or me and my, when I have, am led away by my own heart and temptation, in reality, this idol is something that is a vain idol. It's a empty worthlessness. Forsake those idols. God is the real treasure. So those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Steadfast love is that Hebrew word that you may know. Chesed. Uh, it's uh, the covenant loyalty to Yahweh. And uh, so basically Jonah is, by saying you, those who, who chase after vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, he is saying that these are mutually exclusive paths. You can go down one path but you, and you can go down the other path, but you can't go down both of at the same time. So if I, if I leave here, I was going to walk out the door. I could go down this aisle, or I could go down this aisle, but I couldn't go down both of them at the same time, right? So um, you can either love idols, or you can love God. And Jesus told the parable of the same about loving God, or loving money, and serving God, or serving money. God demands exclusive loyalty. And so Jonah here is exhorting uh, those um, that are, are listening to him and uh, that, would, that would listen to this psalm to pursue God and not to, 
not to go after idols. And then, in his last verse in the psalm, in verse 9, Jonah says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So this is actually what I see as the proper response of salvation. Thanksgiving, line one, uh, line one and two, and then worship in line three, and then praise in line four. Jonah's sacrifice was the sacrifice of vocally, verbally thanking God. And I believe he did this both in private, in the, in the fish, as well as in public, in God's temple. That is the proper response to God's salvation. You can pray privately in the, in the secret of your own heart, thanking God. And you can also thank God and, and talk to Him, talk about Him to others. You can thank Him in the public assembly and, and uh, praise the Lord. We have that opportunity to do so every week here um, to praise God. And this is a sweet sacrifice that God accepts. I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. And then the next phrase, what I have vowed, I will pay. Jonah worships God by following through on his commitments. He committed to worship God somehow um, through vowing to the Lord. Um, it's not specified here. Um, and he is, but we do know he is determined to follow through on that commitment. And that is also a proper response to God's salvation. Remember, when he, he writes this, he's still in the belly of the fish, but he's, he has faith. He knows that God has, has rescued him and that he will deliver him from this. What I have vowed, I will pay. And salvation is of, salvation is of the Lord, or salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah has a fresh and personal appreciation for God's salvation. He realized that he was helpless in saving himself. He glorified God by acknowledging God's sovereign role in saving him. He was completely helpless. And we also have the same privilege and responsibility of recognizing God's sovereign role in saving us. What could Jonah have done to save himself? And what could we have done to save ourselves? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he. Full redemption can it be. Hallelujah, what a savior. Then verse 10, salvation accomplished. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out. Upon the, upon the dry land. So this is salvation for Jonah. We also can look forward to salvation that we have one day. When our salvation is finally realized and complete, when we are in the blessed city of God, when we go to heaven, Jonah and Jesus, they're alike in, in that uh, Jonah had this figurative death in three days in, in the belly of the, of the fish and then his resurrection. 
And, uh, and Jesus, dying for our sins, was put in the grave. And then three days later, rose from the grave. So there's a comparison between Jonah and Jesus. But there's also a comparison made in Scripture between the believer and Jesus. Jesus is, um, he is the, our, our, uh, the firstborn among many brothers. And we likewise, even as Jesus died and was resurrected, we too, when we die, we have our, this hope of resurrection into eternal life. So we can say, praise the Lord for his salvation. And uh, so let's, uh, let's uh, think of some applications that we can draw from Jonah for our own lives. So do you need to pray to God, um, confessing your sin and crying out to him for help? Today is the day. Uh, please don't put it off. You have no guarantee of tomorrow. I, I uh, have read many, many stories of people who have said, you know, I, I know that I need to repent, but uh, I'm not ready yet. There's, there's still time for me. And, and oftentimes this, the story goes that maybe the next day or very soon after they, they die, and uh, don't have that opportunity. So I, I urge you that you have no guarantee of tomorrow, dear soul. So come to the Lord. Do you already know God but need to repent and come back to him through prayer? So Jonah knew the Lord well. He knew he was a prophet of God. And yet he, he needed to repent. And there's, always, there's times in all of our lives where we have strayed from the Lord and we need to come back to him and repent. Come to him. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In Luke chapter 15, uh, Jesus told the parable. Um, he says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine persons who need no repentance. Jonah praises God for his salvation. How often do you stop to praise God for your salvation? Draw near to God. Pray to God. And if the season comes, when you begin to stray from God, be quick to repent and run back to God. Do not be like Jonah and wait until God has to do something drastic to bring you back. Do not be wait to be driven from God's sight. Humble yourselves, repent quickly and often so that God does not have to discipline you as he disciplined Jonah. And if you are not trusting in Christ's death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, before your life faints away and enters into an eternity in hell, repent and turn to God in prayer. Walk after God, not idols. So you can, if that's you, you can talk to one of the elders or someone that you trust here and, and he or she will be more than glad to offer assistance to your soul. So don't put it off. So salvation for Jonah is accomplished and he praises the Lord for it. 
we too have a great salvation in Christ the Lord and we can praise him for it and thank him for it every day until we see him face to face. Let's pray. O Lord, we come before you and having read your word, Lord, I just pray that if there is anything that I spoke that was not consistent with your word, that um, it would not be a stumbling block for any, Lord, that you would be pleased through your Holy Spirit to work through, through your word, which was preached tonight in the story of Jonah. Cause it to penetrate our hearts, Lord, and to change us, that we would be a humble people, a repentant people, people that pray to you when we need to repent, pray to you when we, when we have a need to, to ask you for deliverance, to pray to you, giving you thanks and worship and praise, as Jonah did. Lord, help us to be a praying church, a praying people, to love you, to pursue after you, not after idols, Lord. Lord, I would that every soul here, every soul listening online would, would know you, would love you, and would pursue after you. That they would find sweet fellowship in your name and with your with your son through Jesus Christ that they would come to know forgiveness of sins if they don't and that they would draw near to you all the days of their lives. So we thank you for this time again. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.